What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome to a breath of fresh earth. Taking the commitment to a clean environment to the next level. Your host, Rick Friedman, will crown the climate hero and villain of the week. Along with discussing worldwide environmental issues, showcasing new products designed with the longevity of our planet in mind, and putting the spotlight on the individuals making a big impact in helping the climate and pollution crisis through social media. Now, your host, Rick Friedman. April 22nd. 2020 will mark the 50-year anniversary of the first Earth Day. The theme for Earth Day 2020 is climate action. COVID-19 ruined all the in-person festivities for Earth Day, but you can still contribute by going to earthday.org on April 22nd for 24 hours of action with Earthrise. Every hour on the hour, you'll find suggestions to support a cleaner planet. The first Earth Day was a unified response to oil spills, smog, and rivers so polluted they literally caught fire. That happened to the Cuyahoga River in my hometown, Cleveland, Ohio. In 2016, the United Nations chose Earth Day as the day when the countries signed the Paris Agreement on Climate Change. The founder of Earth Day was a man named Gaylord Nelson, a Republican senator from Wisconsin. In 1969, he witnessed the remains of a massive oil spill in California. That got him thinking about how he could tap into the power of the anti-war protests and bring that to environmental action. It worked. Nelson received the Presidential Medal of Freedom Award in 1995 as a tribute for his efforts. Another Republican, Congressman Pete McCloskey, convinced a 25-year-old man named Dennis Hayes from Harvard to run the first Earth Day. After the success of the first Earth Day, Hayes founded Earth Day Network and helped expand the Earth Day Network to more than 180 countries and was named Hero of the Planet by Time Magazine in 1999. The founders chose April 22nd for Earth Day because it fell between spring break and final exams for college students. 20 million Americans participated in that first Earth Day. 20 million people? Very tremendous success. The biggest crowds ever. Sorry, I couldn't resist poking fun of he who shall not be named. The first Earth Day led to the creation of the United States Environmental Protection Agency and the passage of the Clean Air, Clean Water, and Endangered Species Act. That was a pretty good year for the planet. What's so odd about the first Earth Day is that it received support from Republicans and Democrats. So what happened to the GOP? Why do they treat climate change like it doesn't exist? Money. Money from donors urging them to stay the course, to keep oil and gas profits high, no matter the cost to the planet or our health. Everybody's talking about washing your hands. Ignaz Semmelweis was born in 1818 and died in 1865, was a doctor in Vienna in the 1800s, he wondered why so many women were dying of childbed fever. After 1823, mortality rate at the hospital that he worked at was as high as 9.2% and higher for women of poverty, illegitimacy, and other complications. Doctors who performed autopsies were revered by their colleagues and the rest of society. This led to the belief that the dirtier the doctor, the better the doctor. It was a point of pride for doctors to walk around in their coats stiff with blood from the last autopsy or surgery they performed, after which they headed right to the maternity ward and delivered a baby. Of course, that would be unthinkable now, but back then that was normal. Samuel introduced rules for doctors to wash their hands in a chlorine and lime solution, and the rate of death dropped dramatically. Some doctors resented Samuel 
for implying they were to blame for the deaths, and they stopped washing their hands. Semmelweis tried to persuade other doctors in European hospitals the benefits of hand-washing, but to no avail. Here's the best or worst part of the story. Semmelweis kept pushing his theory. Some say he was possessed. Eventually, he was taken to a mental hospital where he was beaten and died two weeks later from blood infections. Gee, who could have guessed that? He died from the same disease he fought against in his professional life. In the United States, Oliver Wendell Holmes, the father of the famous Supreme Court Justice, linked doctors' autopsies to the disease, as did Florence Nightingale during the Crimean War. She helped institute strict hand-washing and the changing of dirty linens and frequent baths for her patients. Robert Koch and Louis Pasteur figured out the germ theory. Years after his death, Pasteur credited Semmelweis for his work connecting germ theory to disease. Did people start washing their hands then? Nope. It wasn't until the 1980s when the Center for Disease Control and Prevention identified hand hygiene as an important way to prevent the spread of infection. So keep washing those hands. Don't touch anybody. It's time for the Climate Hero of the Week. Our climate hero today is Oceana. Over 800,000 members around the world in over 200 countries have joined Oceana. It's the largest international organization focused solely on ocean conservation. They have over 370,000 followers on Twitter and about a million on Facebook. Go to YouTube and you can watch a lot of their great videos. Oceana has won more than 225 legal victories and protected more than 4.5 million square miles of ocean. Here's just a few examples of what they've already accomplished. This past February, the United States government finalized protections for whales and sea turtles from death in a California-based fishery. The National Marine Fisheries Service published a final rule to implement strict limits, known as hard caps, on the number of whales, sea turtles, and dolphins that can be injured or killed in the California-based swordfish drift gillnet fishery. This development comes after extensive legal action from Oceana following the Marine Fisheries Service failure to enact protections first approved back in 2015. Last July, Canada, following a significant grassroots effort led by Oceana, became the first G20 country to ban the trade of shark fins at its borders. The practice of shark finning has been illegal in Canadian waters for years, but Canada was the largest importer of shark fins outside of Asia. Oceana's campaign generated more than 300,000 petition signatures and thousands of emails and phone calls to members of parliament calling on them to protect sharks. This ban is part of Canada's new Fisheries Act. Do you want to help save the oceans? You can become an Oceana Wavemaker. It's free, and you can help continue the efforts to save the oceans. Wavemakers receive a monthly update on the latest ocean news and ways you can help protect marine life. Way to go, Oceana! Our second climate hero today is the Climate Coalition. Climate Coalition is the United Kingdom's largest group of people dedicated to action against climate change. They're a group of over 140 organizations asking politicians to put aside their differences and commit to doing whatever is necessary to protect the earth. Every year they present awards to groups and individuals. This is the short list of the nominations for the Overseas Inspirational Award. On the edge of the Gola Rainforest in Sierra Leone, hundreds of cocoa farmers joined together to form a union. Their mission is to improve the livelihoods of local people while protecting the rainforest through sustainable, forest-friendly farming. Also up for the award was Ethiopia's tree planting plan. Between July and August of 2019, Ethiopia planted almost 4 billion trees. It was one of the most ambitious tree planting programs in history. Part of their Green Legacy Initiative is an example to the rest of the world of what is possible 
when a nation works together to help protect the things they love. I don't know how you could possibly prove they planted so many trees, and I haven't been able to find out any updates on the status of those newly planted trees. It's still quite an accomplishment, even if they planted $2 billion. And the winner for 2019 was the Joss Green Climate E-Waste Solar Project in Nigeria. The project provides poor families with solar electricity by utilizing electric waste that would otherwise get dumped in the ground and become a hazard to the community. The program is run by a youth-led activist group called the Joss Green Center. Members volunteer their time, their passion, and their creativity to help protect and benefit their local environment by removing e-waste from the environment, helping young people learn how to produce solar power and reduce dirty forms of energy like charcoal, diesel, and kerosene. Well done, Nigeria. Now it's time for the Climate Villain of the Week. If you've listened to more than one episode of this podcast, you know that after every climate hero, there's a climate villain. And today's no exception. Today, we're picking on Rebecca Mercer. She sat on the board of directors for the American Museum of Natural History from 2013 to 2020. What's the big deal with that? Just because she supports conservative candidates doesn't disqualify her from sitting on the board. Ms. Mercer is the daughter of Republican superdonor Robert Mercer. In January of 2018, there was a protest by a group called Revolting Lesbians. Yes, that's their name. They called for her removal from the board. The Mercers have donated millions of dollars to organizations that reject the scientific consensus regarding climate change. The museum reported that Mercer was no longer on the board as of the end of 2019. Rebecca and her father, Robert Mercer, were also among the biggest Republican donors in the 2016 election cycle, spending more than $49 million that year, including $15.5 million to organizations supporting Donald Trump's election. They introduced the president to former White House strategist Steve Bannon, whose Breitbart News they also financed, and then to campaign manager Kellyanne Conway. We all remember her. We haven't seen her in the news much, but that's okay. She's probably still getting over the Bowling Green massacre. Rebecca was also part of Trump's transition team ahead of his taking office. Among the people that received money from the Mercer Foundation include the Heartland Institute. They're a leading climate change denial think tank. The Federalist Society, funded by Charles and David Koch. You remember them from the last episode. And the Mercer Foundation helps ExxonMobil and Chevron, and the CO2 Coalition, an organization committed to educating the public on the important contribution made by carbon dioxide to our lives and the economy. We wish Miss Mercer good health, but we're glad she's no longer on the board of directors for the museum. Are you like me, always looking to music to get you through rough spots in your life? You can find a song to match almost any mood. And there are plenty of songs that can help you get through the coronavirus, such as All By Myself by Eric Carmen, Staying Alive by the Bee Gees, I Can't Get Next to You by The Temptations, or It's the End of the World as We Know It by R.E.M., I'm So Lonesome I Could Cry by Hank Williams, or All Things Must Pass by George Harrison. Keep Your Hands to Yourself, remember that one from the Georgia Satellites? And my two favorites, Don't Stand So Close to Me by The Police, and You Can't Touch This, from MC Hammer. Did you know we're on Twitter too? Connect with us there and get involved. I've got a couple of people for you to follow on social media. The first one is Dr. Kim Cobb. She's an American climate scientist. She's the professor in the School of Earth and Atmospheric Sciences at the Georgia Institute of Technology and a Georgia Power Faculty Scholar. Her Twitter account is Corals and Caves, C-O-R-A-L-S-N-C-A-V-E-S. 
Dr. Cobb spoke in front of Congress in 2019. Check out her passionate testimony before the House Natural Resources Committee during a hearing on climate change. You can find that on YouTube. And listen to her TED Talk from 2016 and her speech at the Stand Up for Science rally in 2016 where she talks about coral bleaching. Dr. Adam Levy is a doctor of atmospheric physics from the University of Oxford. This isn't some random dude making funny videos about climate change. He goes by the name Climate Adam, and he presents his views on his award-winning YouTube channel. Many of his videos are shot in a split screen, with Adam preaching the truth about science on one side, and the other side is Adam acting as the climate denier, often dressed as a woman. He's hysterical and educational at the same time. Definitely watch that. Check out Climate Adam on YouTube, or Facebook, and Twitter, and Instagram. He's got 71 great videos on YouTube. The first one came out in 2014 and is about sea levels and gin and tonic. And he's got one where he compares the world's response to the coronavirus to our response to climate change. Gotta like that one, too. But remember, he's not all jokes and videos. This is a highly educated man. Thanks, Climate Adam. COVID-19 has upended our lives. The number of infections keeps soaring worldwide, and it seems like the entire world is staying home. New catchphrases are entering our lexicon because of the virus, and I bet some of them will stick around even after a vaccine is found. Social distancing used to accurately describe my dating life. Corona referred to a brand of a beer. Pandemic was a movie. Flattening the curve was what you said after you smashed a curveball over the fence. Community spread sounds more like a brand of generic vegetable oil, and super spreaders are what's used to baste a pot roast in the oven. Infectious was my friend Sue's laugh, and stay at home was what my dad said when I was grounded and wanted to hang out with friends. While most of mankind is keeping physical distance from each other, this is the best time to recognize that we are one big family on Earth. From the Pacific Islands to London to Wuhan, China, we share a single planet, drink from the same water, and breathe the same air. Science will lead us out of this crisis. It's not going to disappear like a miracle. This isn't Moses parting the Red Sea. Due to loss of habitat, animals leave their natural habitats and interact with man more frequently than they used to. The coronavirus proves we can overcome petty differences and work together. What a concept. Why can't we flatten the curve against climate change and pollution? The pandemic ruined this year's Earth Day festivals, as I mentioned earlier, but COVID-19 doesn't end our concern about climate change and pollution. If people were dying from climate change in the same manner as COVID-19, mankind would respond with urgency. Loved ones are whisked away to hospitals and die alone. Tragic. We can't even honor them with a proper funeral. When people die from climate change, it's a slow death, caused from years of breathing poisonous air, drinking dirty water, or from poisoned land. But let's be accurate. We are dying from climate change and pollution. According to a report from The Lancet, Commissions on Pollution and Health, airborne contaminants were the leading cause of death by pollution, killing 6.5 million people in 2015 from heart disease, strokes, and respiratory ailments caused from outdoor air pollution from toxins and car emissions. Water pollution killed another 1.8 million people. Most people die of water pollution from diarrhea or typhoid. Where is the outrage for these 9 million fellow humans? Every day I see a scoreboard on the news channels of the total infected, total killed, we should be watching the end of the college basketball tournament and baseball. That's the kind of scoreboard we like. Not a death count, like when the news stations used to televise the casualties in Vietnam. How many U.S. servicemen died today, and how many Vietnamese soldiers died? 
Imagine the horror on the television if they showed a running scoreboard of how many people died from air pollution, caused mostly from our use of fossil fuels. This must change, and it will. It's a long fight to conquer oil and gas billionaires. Please don't give up just because COVID-19 is dominating the headlines. Perhaps if we realize the dangers of COVID-19 could appear again in a different form, a different type of virus, we'll spend the time, money, and resources to combat future novel viruses. We are celebrating a special day for a very special man. Each episode, we celebrate the life of a famous scientist. Today, we honor a great man born in April. Birthday boy is Charles Keeling, born on April 20th, 1928, died on June 20th, 2005. So what's so special about Charles Keeling? Keeling was an American scientist whose recording of carbon dioxide at the Mauna Loa Observatory first alerted the world to the possibility of the greenhouse effect and global warming. The Mauna Loa Observatory is where we have a reporter stationed to give us updates on the current CO2 level. Due to the coronavirus, our reporter is working from home, so I'll be the one to tell you the current CO2 level is 416.67 parts per million. That's about two points higher than when we first came on the air in February. Despite the slowdown across the world, CO2 levels continue to rise. The air is clearer. You've probably seen pictures online or read about the dolphins swimming in the canals of Venice, Italy. But carbon dioxide accumulates over hundreds of years and will not dissipate quickly, even if we shut down the world tomorrow forever. All right, back to Charles Keeling. The scientific community respected him so much that they named the process of measuring the progressive buildup of carbon dioxide the Keeling Curve. Keeling started measuring CO2 at Mauna Loa in 1958, and supervised the program until his death in 2005. In 2015, the Keeling Curve was designated a Natural Historic Chemical Landmark by the American Chemical Society. Never even heard of that. When I started doing some research about it, I found the first landmark was awarded to Bakelite, the world's first synthetic plastic, in 1993. Dr. Bakeland developed this new material, which he called Bakelite. That opened the door to the age of plastics, and now plastic litters our world. This is not Dr. Bakeland's fault. I just find it funny that while researching Keeling, I stumbled across the National Historic Chemical Landmark, and the very first one, the guy who won the first award, is about a product we're trying to get rid of. Due in part to the significance of Keeling's findings, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration began monitoring CO2 levels worldwide in the 1970s. Every year, the scientific community gives a prize to 10 outstanding projects from across the world that reduce greenhouse emissions or promote uptake of greenhouse gases. The winners are awarded $25,000 each. What's the name of the prize? You already know the answer. The Keeling Curve Prize. You can learn more about the prize on Twitter at kcurveprize or the kcurveprize.org. I'm trying to think if I've ever had anything named after me. And I thought I did. I have. In high school, friends hung out at my basement on the weekends, and it became known as the Friedman Farm. And my children followed the same pattern with their friends and dubbed our house the Friedman Basement as their favorite hangout spot, maybe because we always came downstairs with an endless supply of snacks and beverages, non-alcoholic beverages. The Friedman Basement even had its own Facebook page. Not as cool as the Keeling Curve, but it's something. That's the end of the show. Please tell a friend about the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, and I'll be back with another episode on April 30th. Until then, 
Keep your distance, stay safe. Thanks for listening to A Breath of Fresh Earth with your host, Rick Friedman. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you're the first to hear new episodes. If you want to nominate someone for...